Welcome to this week's podcast from the Equipping Center. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jacob Biswell. We thank you, Father, this morning for your worthiness. We thank you that you are still seated on the throne. You're not moved by our circumstances. You're not moved by COVID-19. You're not moved by sickness and disease. You are unfailing and unchanging. You are the same yesterday. You'll be the same today. And tomorrow you'll still be the same. You're still the same God who heals. You're still the same God who delivers. You're still the same God who breaks chains and sets free. You're still the same, never changing. God, we glory in your goodness this morning. We glorify you, Jesus. You're so worthy. You're so worthy. You're so worthy. If you believe that he's worthy this morning, can we just give him a shout of praise? Just give him a hand clap of praise. Just say the name Jesus with me this morning. Jesus! Jesus! Hallelujah! Why don't you be seated this morning? Greg, if you could give me a little bit more on my monitors, that'll help me this morning. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! He is worthy to be praised. He's worthy. It doesn't matter what you're facing this morning. It doesn't matter what circumstance. It doesn't matter what sickness. He is unchanging. He's still the God who delivers. He's still the God who heals. And if you need a miracle this morning, I believe you're going to get it. Amen? Uh, if you will, if you have your Bible with you this morning or your smartphone or whatever mode of uh, Bible you use, uh, turn in your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 17. If you don't have your Bible with you this morning, you can look at the screen. It'll be up there. Uh, but I just want to welcome you this morning. I'm so glad you're with us. If this is your first time, your second time, your all the time church, I'm glad you're with us this morning. And uh, I'm just believing that we are in a season of accessing the miraculous. How many of you need a miracle of some kind, some way, some shape, some form? I, I live my life, and, and this is how I, I believe, is that we should always need a miracle. There should always be something that we're believing for that's bigger than our season. And I believe that over the next several weeks, as we dive into the word about accessing the miraculous, we're going to look at the life of Elijah, one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Uh, I relate to him. Uh, I've often said that Elijah had PMS, prophetic mood swings. And uh, I, I feel like I can relate to that, that that sometimes, depending on the atmosphere, my mood can swing one way. Uh, now, you know, I'm not going to call bears out to eat people or anything like that, uh, as we see some of these prophets of the old do. Uh, but I can relate to some of the things that he walked through, some of the things that he faced. And so when I go to, to First Kings and I look at his life, I, I go, yeah, I can, I can relate to that. So we're going to be talking about accessing the miraculous over the next several weeks and culminating in our miracle services with Pastor Mark Wallace uh, from Dinuba, my hometown, uh, is where he currently pastors a thriving church uh, in Dinuba. He's been there, I think, 25 years, came to a small congregation, and God's been faithful to grow it. And last year, right at the, the height of the pandemic, Pastor Mark got COVID. And uh, at first, you know, it was a struggle, and then it became a real struggle. Uh, he went into the hospital. They put him on the ventilator. Uh, all of his organs were an organ failure. The doctor said he's going to die. There, there was no hope. 
Uh, and then God stepped into that hospital room and thousands of people around the world prayed for him. He had some encounters in that hospital room and, and the Lord healed him. And uh, he was the first person uh, in California to be taken off the ventilator successfully. And uh, what a miracle that is. And so from that, God has birthed uh, just this fresh anointing for miracles. And so I'm believing uh, that we are going to pack the house out. We're going to see miracles happen. God's going to move. And uh, we're going to see uh, just a breakthrough uh, in those services. And so as I was praying about that, I began to ask the Lord, how do we prepare? Because I believe it's, it's important that we as a church begin to prepare our hearts when God's going to do something like that. When, when we set out to say we're going to have miracle services, that's a big thing to say. That, that's a statement that we have to, to stand behind that if we say we're going to have miracle services, how do we prepare our hearts for that? And so that's what I want to do over the next several weeks is prepare our hearts that we would cultivate our heart that God would show up and we'd be ready to receive him. Amen. All right. First Kings chapter 17. We're going to begin in verse one. I'm diverting from my normal New American and I'm going back to the New King James this morning. I love how it reads in the in the New King James. And so verse one and Elijah, the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, now, let, let me start, stop here because I, I want to give you a little background. We don't know who Elijah is at this point. This is his entry onto the scene of history. So Elijah, before this point, we don't know who he is. He's not recorded any other place. He just shows up. And if we were to go back, we'd find out that Ahab had done more wickedness before the Lord than any other previous king. And so we have Elijah who shows up on the scene and says to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. What a statement to make. He shows up to the king. We don't know who Elijah is. Now, now Ahab probably had some history with him because Elijah was not in anonymity before this. He was still a prophet. But this is where he makes his mark on history. He shows up and he says, Ahab, at my word, as surely as God lives, no more rain or dew. Well, to Ahab, who is a worshiper of Baal, that's a big deal because in Ahab's mind, Baal rules all of the weather. So his false god is in charge. So who is Elijah to show up and say, at my word, as surely as the Lord God of Israel lives, there shall be no dew or rain. We read on and it says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Sherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and stayed by the brook Sherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. All right, flip over to 18 and jump down to verse 41. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up and eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. I like how the New American Standard says it. Now Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the roar of a heavy shower. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees and said to the servant, Go up now and look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. 
And seven times he said, go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. Say heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word that it is alive, it is active, it is sharper than any double-edged sword. And I thank you, Father, that it is alive to us this morning, that as we dive into your word, God, that it would transform us, it would change us, it would, it would cause us to come into an encounter with you, the living God. Father, I recognize my complete and total dependence on you. I can't do this without you, but in you I live and move and have my being. And I thank you for the anointing that breaks every yoke, the anointing that makes preaching easy this morning, God, that I might communicate your word, that when I'd reach out my hands and pull them back, it'd be your handprint that's left on your people, God. We thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I was having a conversation with someone this week I was here working at the church and I'd gotten a phone call and uh, this, this pastor friend of mine asked me a question. He said, what makes you Pentecostals different than the rest of us? And I said, well, that's, that's an interesting question. My friend is of the Baptist persuasion. And he said, I, I, I'm in a, he actually used the word betwixt. I love that word. It's a, it's a fun word. He says, I'm betwixt at the moment. He's, he's real educated. He said, I'm betwixt, I'm stuck in this place because I know there's more, but I don't know how to get it. He said, I'm feeling like I'm in this stuck place and, and we've been having miracles in our church and, and I don't know what to do with them. And I said, well, well, tell me a little bit more about what do you mean you're having miracles? He said, I don't know. I, I prayed for someone last Sunday and the tumor that was on their back fell off. I said, what, what do you mean you prayed for them? Like, I, I'm just trying to get some details here. He says, well, this woman in our church came up to me and said to me, I've got this cancer on my back and, and the doctors say it's inoperable. It's connected to my spine and I don't know what to do about it. He said, I don't believe in miracles. He said, I don't think God does them anymore. I think that was for acts just to prove the gospel. And I said, okay, so, so tell me what happened. He said, well, I just said, I put my hand on her shoulder, which I don't lay hands on people, but I had this image of putting my hand on her shoulder. Put my hand on her shoulder and I said, Lord, if it's your will, heal her. And he said, and the tumor fell off her back onto the floor. And he said, I got really grossed out, ran to the bathroom and threw up. And I asked him if I could use this story. He just said, don't say his name on live stream because he's not ready for all that. And I said, okay, so what'd you do next? He said, well, I went back out to check on her and she was shouting. He said, Jacob, we're Baptists. We don't shout. He said, it scared people. He said, but then someone else came up to me and asked me for prayer. And I prayed for them and they got healed. He said, so what makes you Pentecostals different? He said, why, why do you do this? And, and, and it's a question that, that I really had to think about. 
Because really there should be no difference. There really shouldn't. But, but what I've discovered and what, what remains a truth is that most of the church is impotent today. They have no power to produce anything. They just live this form of religion while denying its power. And, and I believe that God has given us a way to impact our society. Jesus made it very clear in Acts 1-4. He said to wait into, in Jerusalem until an empowerment incurred. Until there was this moment where, where He said gathering them together, He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for which the Father had promised. He, he told them to wait. And in, in verse 3, if we jump back a verse, He said to these He also presented Himself alive after His suffering. By many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And I want to look at that phrase, by many convincing proofs. The gospel is meant to be convincing. But I think for so long, we've just had this good message. We just have this idea, well, well, Christianity is just a good message. That's what the gospel is, good news, right? I've got good news. Jesus saved you and He died for you and we leave it at that. But there were many convincing proofs that Jesus brought to people and that in the book of Acts are full of. And so I took my pastor friend to that verse about many convincing proofs. I said, here's the difference. We believe those convincing proofs are still for today. That God still wants to move in people's lives. Not just save them. The Greek word for salvation is the word sozo. It means saved, healed, and delivered. God still wants to get demons out of people. He still wants to get sickness out of people. He wants to bring people into wholeness. It's about a dynamic encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. And so... The good message is, is, is great, but it's not necessarily convincing me about much. A whole lot of great testimonies about how He healed so many. Well, at this stage of His ministry, Jesus had, already been, had actually been rejected by His own people. So, well, how would Jesus prove something when seeking to prove He's God? I want you to think of Jesus for a moment. The Son of God seeking to prove the point. What must he do to prove who he says he is? He must do a God type of thing. Like Pastor Susanna mentioned, the the definition of miracle from a a journalistic, scientific, research perspective, way over my head. That it, it is something out of the ordinary. It's something that can't just be done. I can't do a miracle on my own. I love what Jack Coe, you say, I couldn't heal a headache on a fly if I tried. And it's the truth. But when we seek to testify of Him, to do something miraculous, to do something no human effort, no human thought, no human strength could achieve, that can only be a miracle. And I want you to jump down in in 18 or jump back to verse 7 in in chapter 18. We're going to read out of New American Standard. Now as Obadiah was on the way, Elijah met him and he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, Elijah, my master? And he said to him, It is I. Go say to your master, Behold, Elijah is here. But he said, What sin have I committed that you're handing your servant over to Ahab to put me to death? 
As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom to which my master has not sent word to search for you. And whenever they say he is not here, he makes the kingdom or nation swear that they could not find you. Yet now you're saying, go say to your master, behold, Elijah's here. It will come about when I leave you that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you away to where I don't know. So when I come and inform Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me, though I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. What an incredible reputation had settled around Elijah. That he was so intertwined with God that the Spirit of the Lord would just carry him away. Just pick him up and move him. So Obadiah is in this moment. No, Elijah, I'm not going to leave your presence because I know the moment I do, you're going to get carried away by the Spirit of God and I'm going to be dead. And so there's this reputation that had built around Elijah and there's this moment in Elijah's life because he was a miracle-working man of God. And, And this is what God wants of you and I. He wants us to be so intertwined with Him that the miraculous just happens. That there's just this this presence around us. There's this atmosphere of heaven that surrounds us that when we are in our lives and and living our daily lives, I'm not talking about being vocational ministers. I'm not talking about having to have a microphone. I'm talking about you, the everyday believer, seeing miracles flowing around your life because that should be normal Christianity. My friend, he goes, Jacob, I don't know what to do with this. I said, keep doing it. Real simple. He says, but, but I can't do this. I said, of course you can't. That's why it's God. I said, you're an unbelieving Baptist, and God's doing miracles through you. He said, oh, I guess that's true. He said, I feel like Balaam's donkey. I said, yep, that's accurate. But I want to talk about this morning to get to the point about some of the principles that surrounded Elijah's life that released him into the miraculous, that gave him an access way. I want you to say that access way. Number one, he lived according to the word of the Lord. This is such a key. In 1 Kings 17, it says four times the word of the Lord. Four times it says that he he heard the word of the Lord. It says the word of the Lord came to him. He did according to the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came. He did according to the word of the Lord. This is such a key. The issue is what word do you live by? What voice has your attention? So we are constantly bombarded with images. We are constantly bombarded with voices. There are voices seeking your attention all the time. The voice of your past. The voice of your present. The voice of your uncertain future. The voice of your family. The voice of your history. The voice of the media. The voice of the culture. The voice of politics is constantly seeking and craving your attention. But even more than that, the voice of the Lord is looking for a resting place in your life that you might live according to the word of the Lord. What transformation would take place in our lives if we lived according to the word of the Lord? If we only did like Jesus did, it says that he only did what he saw the father doing. If we could live a life. Listen, I fall short of this. We all fall short of this. But if we would make it our goal to only do what we see the Father doing, how much more compassion would we live with? 
How much more, more angst for the world, this, this, this desire, this burning desire on the inside of us to see the world transform. How much more would we have if we were so intertwined that we lived according to the word of the Lord? It's a constant challenge in our society. Those voices are seeking to conform our thinking according to their agendas. But there's also the voices of the inner human heart. There are voices that reinforce inner attitudes, behaviors, and personal responses. These are the voices that are often truly controlling the issues of our lives. And I want to think of two of them this morning. Number one, the inner voice of self-centeredness. I don't have a slide for that. The inner voice of self-centeredness. This is the voice that reinforces our personal priorities and agendas. It can express itself in such a way that consideration to any event or action is first evaluated in terms of how it will affect me. How often are we, do we move by that? How will this affect me? Not generally in terms of how others would be impacted, but how is this going to infect me? How is this going to make it uncomfortable for me? This voice causes people to lack freedom to pursue the unexpected. That wasn't my plan for today. I don't have time to stop for the one. I don't have room in my agenda to pray for that person. I don't have room in my pocketbook to pay for their groceries. I don't have room in my life to be uncomfortable to hand them a card to church. I don't have room for the waitress to feel awkward when I put my hand on her hand to pray for her. Because it's an inner voice of self-centeredness. It really means we've not picked up our cross. It really means that we're not carrying the gospel on our shoulders. It really means that we are so self-centered that we only care about us. And it reveals itself through people being unable to put aside planned agendas and so pursue planned adventure. I can guarantee you, if someone came up to you tomorrow and said, I'm going to give you $5 million to take five months off work and travel the world, you would drop it in a heartbeat. You'd be like, here we go. See you later, boss. But if the Lord showed up to you tomorrow and said, quit your job and move to Africa and serve a people group that you've never met before and you've never known before, you'd be like, I need 12 confirmations. I need... I need the angel of the Lord to come out of glory, manifest fully before me. I need stone tablets. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. They came to Texas (laughs) to serve an unreached people group. I can tell you if the Lord told you tomorrow, don't take your lunch break for yourself. I want you to go down to McDonald's, sit in the third booth, and wait for the old man to walk in. You'd be like, no, I want my salad. I don't even like salad, but I'm going to eat my salad today because I'm not going to McDonald's to meet the old man who walks in. Because honestly, we are a self-centered society. We don't have time for other people. We don't have time to serve the agenda of the Lord because we, we, we want what makes us comfortable. It hinders a person frequently of the blessing of serving others, even though I may suffer as a result. The second one is the inner voice of self-preservation. Finance, lifestyle, job opportunities, all responded to in terms of building a secure environment. Self-preservation can be seen in keeping oneself safe from embarrassment. 
the antithesis of self-preservation is faith. Faith is all about not preserving oneself, not being comfortable. Faith adventures demand us at times to make decisions that may even threaten our future security. I know of people who have given up 401ks because God called them to Guatemala. Given up retirement because God called them to move across the country. Given up security of having family around them because God called them to China. Sometimes it's just leaving a job that God says you're done with. Wait, what? God, I'm comfortable here. I've been promoted so many times. Do you know who I am in this position, God? Do you know the influence I have? Nope, season's over. But we live by this voice of self-preservation. It's not being open with people for fear of what they might see in us. I can't share my testimony with that person. Do you know what they'd think of me if they knew where I came from? Do you know what they'd think if they knew what I'd done? They'd be amazed because of where you've come from. People are looking for the real. They don't need our our whitewashed tombs that Jesus described. Looking pretty on the outside, but dead on the inside. What they need is people who've been through something. They need people who can testify. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. I once was addicted, but now I'm free. I once was bound, but now I fly. It's always playing it safe. However, moving in the miraculous demands risk-taking. It steps a person into the potential of failure. Well, what if I pray for that person and they don't get healed? So what? Pray for them again. You've sowed a seed that there's someone who's still, they might think you're crazy, but I'm going to guarantee you three weeks later in the middle of the night when they're in pain, they're going to remember that there was someone in Bryan College Station who laid hands on them, believing that God could heal them. And it might be in that moment at 3 a.m. where they cry out and get saved. Because you were crazy enough to get out of your comfort zone and stop worrying about your self-preservation and go, i got to do something more. Living according to the word of the Lord means dependence upon God and not upon the security structures we place around our lives. We're taught in our Western thinking, make yourself as comfortable as possible. Work 50 years in the workforce so you have your retirement so the last 20 years when you're not even healthy enough to do anything, you at least have some money to pay for your retirement home. I mean, this really is the way we're taught to think. We're taught to think this way of self-preservation. We're taught this way to think, how can I make myself comfortable so one day, one day I can do what I always dreamed of doing? What if God's calling you to do what He put in your heart as a child to do it now? And it's time for you to step out of the boat of comfortable and start believing God, start walking on water, start doing the things that God's called you to do instead of thinking, oh, I've got to follow my plan. Got my 10-year plan. Now, there's nothing wrong with vision, but if your vision is smaller than your faith, that's not vision. This is what it means to live a life of faith. The second thing, that that Elijah did to access the miraculous is it required separation and loneliness. We don't like this. Elijah was called to hide. He says, get up, go eastward to the brook sheriff, sit under a tree. Of course, it was for personal protection from the king. Ahab wanted to kill him. 
So God planned a plan of safety for him. But there's actually something that a person must enter into that draws them to be alone. To come to know God in the stillness of just being with Him. Faith to hear God and develop confidence in Him because of knowing Him. I personally reflect on those times of drawing aside from life. Settling into just being with God as great strengtheners to my faith. The drawing away. That place where I'm uncomfortable. Because if y'all know me, I'm an extrovert. I love people. I'm actually more of an ambivert. Like I like my alone time and I like my time with people. Ambivert. Kind of the, that mix. I don't even know if that's a real word, but I think it is. I'm trying to match the level of Pastor Susanna over here. Got to come up. My Baptist friend, betwixt. Actually, if you ask my students, I purposely use big big letters. See, I can't even talk. (laughs) Big words. See, it's not going to happen. We just went off the edge. Big letters. I write them big on the board. For some, it's easy. However, many people are stimulated through the activities surrounding them. Naturally, social people or some people thrive on doing. How many of you are doers? You have to be doing something. So it's hard for you to draw away with God. It's hard to get alone. And I'll tell you why. Because there's things you haven't dealt with yet. The reason it becomes hard to get alone with God is because when we get alone with God, all of a sudden all the layers are peeled back. Those things we haven't dealt with start coming to the surface. God starts pointing out things to draw you closer to Him. He starts saying, Son, I want to touch this part of your heart. Oh, no, i got to go do laundry. I don't even do laundry, but i got to go do it. And He says, those, those areas of rejection. Oh, I'm going to go call that person I don't even like. I'm going to go have a conversation. You know, I don't even like that restaurant, but you know what, God? I'm going to go eat there right now. Because we don't want God to deal with those things. And it's in that, that place of separation and that place of loneliness that God begins to transform us. It's in that secret place. It's, it's the threshing floor. Jesus often went alone to pray, to reject distractions and simply wait on God. But it's often through those times that inner confidence is built. The third thing that Elijah did to access the miraculous is it required exceptional boldness. I mean, we read verse 1. As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain. That's bold. Imagine for a moment. He says this, and then he starts seeing some gray clouds. God, I said there wouldn't be rain. What are those? Oh, they moved past. Okay, we're good. One weekend, God, that, that cloud, that doesn't work for what I told Ahab. Oh, we're good. Week two's gone by. And eventually, that inner confidence starts going, okay, we've gone three weeks. Gone a couple months, no rain. But it's, it's that place where maybe we could believe God for no rain for a week, but for years? That's different. Now, the real miracle However, it wasn't just the rain. No dew. 
wasn't just the rain. He said, there shall not be rain nor dew. That's a big miracle. It's inconceivable. I mean, I'm sorry, it is conceivable for drought to occur over years, but no dew? No no wetness in the morning? That defies all natural laws. But let me say this. A person will never enter into a miraculous lifestyle without also choosing exceptional boldness. The two go hand in hand. You can't walk in miracles and not be bold. You've got to have the boldness to pray for a sick person offering hope and healing. To speak a word of knowledge to a person. To testify to the claims of Christ to people close to us. To initiate life changers that defy what in the natural world would seem unwise. It takes boldness to declare that God's transformed you. Especially to those close to you. Because they know all your stuff. They know your attitudes. They know when you wake up on the wrong side of the bed. No, I really mean it. God's changed me. Go have some coffee. Because it's in that realness that it takes the boldness to actually walk out what God's done on the inside of you. And I think we're so challenged by that as a society because being real with people, that takes boldness. Because you've got to let them in. You've got to let the walls down. And that's scary for a lot of people because your walls have been your place of protection for so many years. That's all you've known is protecting yourself. Boldness to say, I think God's calling me to something new. I think God's calling me to change what I've done. I think God's calling me to separate from those I was closest to. That that one's hard. When you build relationships with people that are unhealthy, and all of a sudden you realize they're unhealthy, that's hard to pull away. Because you don't want people to feel rejected, but at the same time, you can't have the toxicity. It's, it's a process. It takes boldness. And that's why number four is so important. It required heart-stopping persistence. The day came when Elijah feels the time has come to end the drought. Now, how would you and I do it? I'd probably go away by myself. God, let it rain now. Please, God, let it rain. And then go telling everyone what i just done. Hey, just so you know, I went and prayed. It's going to rain again. But in our minds, Elijah goes all about it in the wrong way. In 1841, he says, Go up, eat, and drink, for there is a sound of the roar of a heavy shower. It's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. There is a sound of the roar of a heavy shower. And I, I want to prophesy to the equipping church this morning. There's a sound of the roar of a heavy shower getting ready to pour out on our church. There is a sound of a heavy roar of a shower about to pour out over your lives this morning. I believe it's that faith thing again, decreeing the event before the event has ever occurred. I'm prophesying this morning and I'm decreeing to you that we may have not had dew or rain, but there's about to be a heavy shower. There's about to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit like a tidal wave. I can see it in the Spirit this morning that there's a wave about to come over the church. There's a move about to happen in this 
house and you better prepare your hearts for it. You better get your heart ready for God to begin to pour out a spirit in a fresh way. Miracles that you've been contending for, miracles you've been believing for are about to be poured out. There are miracles that have been waiting in the halls of heaven about to be released over you. There are miracles that have been waiting on the edge of heaven for the rain to be poured out. And I prophesy the sound of a roar of a heavy shower this morning. You better be ready because the sound of a heavy roar is being released over your lives this morning. If you're ready for a heavy roar, why don't you stand to your feet and begin to declare, I receive the roar of a heavy shower. I receive the rain of heaven this morning. I take hold of the rain. Let the clouds be released. Let the intercession reach the clouds and burst open the rain over my life. I receive the roar of a heavy shower. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can be seated. It drove him to prayer as I start to close this morning. A prayer and to keep praying until the results were accomplished. And it is that season of praying where no perceivable results can be seen that the miraculous is birthed in our hearts. It says that he went... And I'm not flexible like Elijah, but he put his head in between his legs and he got into the birthing position. He got into a travail position and he began to pray. God, I just told Ahab that I hear the sound. There was no sound in that moment. Do you hear me? There was no sound when he said, I hear a sound. It was not perceivable to Ahab. And Ahab, I'm sure in that moment, just left. I'm going to go eat dinner anyways. I'm going to head back to the palace and I'm going to eat. Because that's what I do and I'm king. What are you talking about, Elijah? Pastor Hector, come here. You're going to illustrate with me. So Elijah is in this position. And he's birthing a miracle that he can't see yet. And he says to his servant, go check and see what's happening. And he doesn't look. And the servant comes back. And what does he say? There's nothing there yet. And so Elijah says, I'm going back to prayer. Go check again. And he's crying out, God, let the rain come. God, I prophesied. And I just told Ahab that there's a sound of abundance of rain. What do you see? Nothing yet. And seven times he goes but Elijah had heart stopping persistence he stayed here in this place now tongues hadn't happened yet but for me and on the seventh time what do you see cloud the size of a man's hand what the heck is that going to do For Elijah, that was enough. There's been no rain, no dew for three years, but there's a cloud. There's a cloud in the sky. God's going to back up His word. There's a cloud in the sky. 
It's that I've heard God and so I pray accordingly. I've got a word in my spirit. I may not see the cloud yet. I don't really hear the sound, but I'm prophesying. There's a sound of the abundance of rain. There's a roar in the heavens. I don't see it in the natural, but in my spirit I can hear the sound of a roar. Stress for Elijah. Seven times he sends his servant to look for a cloud. That's all I got, God. That's my response, okay? For Elijah, it was enough. See, uh, there's a cloud. It's way over there. But there's a cloud. That was all that needed. Sit on the side. There's Elijah. I mean, I'm so visual, I, I can picture this. Here's Elijah. He stands up. I got a cloud. He's working his faith, believing for a miracle. And there's the servant. Dang it, Elijah. Why'd you have to tell Ahab there's a sound? How many of us have people like that in our lives? Now, we, the servant doesn't actually say that, but this is how I picture it, right? We start to prophesy to people what God's about to do. I don't see no cloud. You said there's a sound. There ain't even thunder yet. Seven times. And suddenly, I, I just I just picture the servant. Oh, it's a little one. Elijah, Elijah, you might not be crazy after all. It's, it, it, it's this this big, but it's there. There's a sign that there's a miracle coming. There's a sign. And that's where the eye of faith is so different. Because only a small thing to inspire great faith for the cynical among us. A small cloud, so what? Probably just seeing things. It's probably your cataracts. But see, the whole foundation for Elijah was the persistence. And his response is different. For a person with the eye of faith And the miraculous, all you need is a little bit. All you need is a touch. All you need is a cloud the size of a man's hand off in the distance to know what I said, what God said to me, it's about to happen. But I want to say to you, the miraculous is within reach of us all. The hope of our nation, the hope of our generations rests on men and women, young and old, seeing that the hope of our future lies in the presentation of our God in a way that catches the attention of the unchurched. They don't want your religion. They've already been through it. We have a generation who need to be rechurched. And when I say rechurch, I mean they need a real dynamic encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ that transforms them. They don't need all our junk. They don't need to be told they have to look right to come to church. They don't need to have it all together. They don't need to have all their ducks in a row. That's what the church used to preach. You can come when you got it all figured out. No, we are the place they need to be. Because we are all broken in some way, shape, or fashion. We've all had our brokenness. We've all had our disappointments. We've all had those things. 
And when they see we're real, I am so tired of meeting people who won't come to church because they're afraid of what we'll think. Because the church for too long has been like, when you got it all together, when you present your perfect little package to Jesus, then he'll love you. That's not it. I came with my brokenness. And he's still putting me together. That's my wife. So it says, there's a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up and say to Ahab, get your chariot ready and go down before the rain stops you. Another bold statement. All he's got is a little cloud. Hey, Ahab, you better get ready. I've got my confirmation. You better get in your chariot because it's about to happen. Now, it happened in the meantime. I want to say to some of you, you're in your meantime. You're in your in-between place. You're betwixt. That the sky became black with clouds and wind. And what was it? There was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. And I love this. And the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah. It says he girded up his loins and in those days, he would have had these, these long garments. And what he would have had to do is he would have had to take each side of the garment and tie it up on his hips. So he would have had runner shorts now. It says, the hand of the Lord came upon him and he outran the chariots. See, here's the point this morning. When you've been persistent, and you've dealt with those inner voices, and you've got that, that, that unwavering faith that God's going to do it, you'll outrun your enemy. You're going to outrun your enemy. Some of you didn't catch that this morning. You're going to outrun your enemy. You're about to outrun the thing that's been taunting you and tormenting you and yelling at you and screaming at you. Your family's been tormented by it, but you're about to gird up your loins. You're about to put on your running shorts and you're about to outrun your enemy because I hear a sound of a heavy roar of rain. Stand to your feet this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. If you're here this morning and you've been chased down by your enemy, you've never made a decision to follow Christ this morning. You've never given your whole life to Him. I want to give you that opportunity right now. All you've got to do is repent of your sin. Turn away from it. And in doing so, you're making a declaration this morning. I give my whole life to Christ. If you're watching by live stream this morning, you've never made a decision for Christ. It's simple. All you got to do is repent of your sin, turn away from it, and follow Jesus. And I'm going to lead you through that this morning. If you're here this morning and you want to do that, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time, you want to give your whole life to Jesus this morning, I want you to lift your hand. Just lift your hand this morning. If you want to give your life to Jesus this morning, I see those hands. Come on, let's pray together this morning. Say, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I give it all to you. I lay it at your cross. And I receive your forgiveness. Today is my day of salvation. Today I give it all to you and I become a new creation. I follow you. Transform me. Make me new. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Or visit www.equippingcenter.us.